Welcome to Off the Wall, a podcast aimed at helping you answer the questions, what is the point of my wealth, and what steps can I take to make that vision a reality? Your host, David Armstrong, co-founder of Monument Wealth Management, and Jessica Gibbs, director of private wealth design at Monument, will tap into their over 25 years of combined experience in wealth management to help you answer these challenging but important questions. Interested in learning more? Connect with us on Instagram at Monument Wealth and follow along at MonumentWealthManagement.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave and Jessica. Jessica, good to see you again. This whole video thing is becoming second nature to me, but it's good to see you. Yeah, I kind of like recording the podcast on video. Then we can sort of pretend like we're in the same room, even though we definitely are not. It was interesting the other day you said that we haven't seen each other because as most people know, you live in San Antonio, Texas, and you've been there for a couple years now, but we literally haven't seen each other, you and I, nor have you seen anybody at Monument since September of 2019. So it's really been a long time. Mm-hmm. We're all looking forward to this being over. But that is not the subject of today's podcast, is it? No, this podcast, I'm fully willing to admit up front, this is kind of me getting up on my soapbox about a topic that I am super passionate about, can talk a lot about something I'm always really mindful of. And whenever we have of interns, I'm always making sure I share my thoughts on this. So they start thinking about this. And the topic I hand is women and money, women and finances. And I am going to uncharacteristically probably be pretty quiet throughout all this. Because <laughs> I am not an authority on the issue. So but No, but you know, I think I don't think that's right though. I mean it's, everyone it's not. I'm being in their funny. I know. Everyone in their life though has women in their life. Your spouse, your mother, your cousins, your children, nieces, nephews, everyone has women in their life and everyone wants those women to have a confident, successful relationship with money. Just like everyone wants any man to have that. It's kind of a bummer to me that financial literacy in this country is so low. It's something that I'm always talking about with people is improving financial literacy. I definitely was joking about that because I have a lot of interaction with not only the women in my life, but women that we have at Monument because we're 70% women here. And a lot of our clients are women. I get a great cross section of different types of perspectives that women have about money. But again, I do feel like you're probably much more of an authority on the subject than I am. And uh, I know you've written a great piece on this that's going to be coming out soon. But today, we're just actually going to be talking about it. I wrote a piece for Monument about women and finances. Before I dive into it, I think it's important. Maybe I'll, I'll share a little bit of my background. I graduated from Bryn Mawr College, which is a all-women's liberal arts college outside Philadelphia. And I think back to that experience. I, I spent four years surrounded by incredible women doing incredible things, supporting each other, the feeling that you can do anything. And I kind of naively went out into the world thinking that that was how the real life would be. And so when I became a financial planner, I really was aware that unfortunately, I as a young female advisor was a bit of an anomaly in this industry. The phrase that gets thrown around in the industry internally is male, pale, and stale. So the financial advice industry is one that traditionally your advisor has been a man who's been white, who's been old. And I think inherently when that's your perspective, I think there's an inherent bias in the industry against women. That male advisor 
abuser may just, unbeknownst to them, be focusing, rather than talking to both husband and wife, they may just sort of be focused on talking to husband. And that leaves a lot of women out. It makes a lot of women feel like money decisions are not for them, or it's too complicated, or it's my husband who's really, you know, investing is his hobby. And I don't really want to get into that. I have my own things going on. And it just has led to an incredible wealth gap. Everyone talks about the gender pay gap, but the gender wealth gap is actually even worse. If you look at stats on for every $1 that a man owns, women own on average 32 cents. And it's it's particularly even worse if you're a black or Latina woman, you on average own one penny to a man's $1 of wealth. The proof there is in the pudding. It's these sort of inherent biases against women or also that women create for themselves sort of these boundaries or fears around money that has created real consequences, women actually owning a significantly less amount of wealth than men. So obviously, I don't think that's a good thing. I really, in an interest of trying to understand what could be done differently? This is at any age of things that you could start doing or wish you had done differently around women and money. So I started interviewing just women in my life, women that I know of varying different ages and stages in life, and asked them essentially what they wish they had known or started doing sooner when it comes to their finances. I've also seen some really interesting statistics, and I can't quote them verbatim, but there is also a projected wealth transfer from men to women that is upcoming over the next Mm. 30 years that has a lot to do with demographics, it's actually going to become a much bigger issue over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, it's a great point. Women live longer than men. Most people tend to leave their wealth to their spouse first. That's a great point that women are set to inherit a significant amount of wealth, pass it down to their heirs as well. Back to these general themes that I seem to suss out. Because despite everyone having really different experiences, I think a lot of people tended to circle back to similar themes of what they wish they had been doing sooner or you know doing all along. And I think the first and foremost kind of goes back to what I was saying before is be involved. Every household has a division of labor. When it comes to finances, both people are not doing everything. Usually someone is doing household bills and the other person may be focused more on the investment portfolio, that long-term finance picture. If you're not understanding what the other person is seeing, I mean, I love the analogy that that someone in our office used when I was talking to them was someone's looking through a microscope and someone's looking through a telescope. You're seeing vastly different pictures. Yeah, I love that analogy too. It's, It's a great one. Yeah, Kathleen shared that one with me. I think you have to be involved. If you're a woman, I think that's one of the biggest things I heard is you have to be involved for a variety of reasons. One, transparency of information. We can all imagine the situation. We've heard of the situation where sudden divorce or sudden death and a woman's like, I don't know where the assets are. I don't know what's going on with them. I've been caught off guard. It can create a really difficult situation for that woman. Yeah, we've seen that. And it's actually one of the easiest things to solve by exactly what you said, which is just being involved. Correct. And then also further, it ensures that you and your partner are aligned on your goals and your decisions. For example, you may both have really different risk tolerances. And if only your partner is making decisions as far as your investment portfolio, you may all of a sudden, once again, you get involved, you may say, whoa, what is that investment? I don't understand that. That is like way more risk than I'm comfortable with. Being involved ensures that your risk tolerance, your goals, your part of the decision-making process, all of that is being accounted for in planning for your retirement. I think the agreement on the risk tolerance is really, really important because 
we've seen, while it's a limited sample size, still our clients that we meet, we see a lot of misalignment on risk tolerance. And most of that doesn't get surfaced until we bring them through the private wealth design process and we start asking questions. And we actually start to discover that one person has a completely different risk tolerance for the other. And they never really acknowledge that between each other until they're in that meeting with us. And so we do see that. And it's important to have an understanding of that as a couple. And to your point that two heads are better than one. It's just anytime you have a different perspective on risk will give you some different options and thoughts about what to do. I I love that saying that risk is what's left over after you've accounted for everything that can go wrong. And if you have two people thinking about what can go wrong, maybe you can eliminate other risks. Certain things when it comes to your finances are easy decisions, but there are a lot of really challenging what if questions, deciding to do this or that. And to have two different perspectives, to have both partners involved in thinking through what may happen or or what could happen in order to decide on on a course of action. Again, it comes back to you have to be involved. You have to understand everything. And I think deeply related to being involved is financial literacy. And financial literacy is, is just critical. I think when we talk to our clients, we don't expect them to know all the answers. I mean, that that is why they're hiring us is because they want to work with an expert. But you have to know how to ask the right questions. And the only way you're going to know if you're asking the right questions is if you have that little bit of background knowledge. The thing about financial literacy and finances in general is like there is no instant gratification in this. It is a lifelong journey of building knowledge, building experiences, learning from mistakes that inform how you make decisions. And so if you don't have that base of knowledge, Again, back to those sort of really vulnerable transition periods, you know, such as divorce or your spouse or partner passes away, or even if you've started a business or you're selling a business, you're getting married later in life, even you're helping your aging parents. All of these transition points can be really, really vulnerable for you if you're not prepared, if you're not financially literate. You know, if you, again, just don't know what questions to ask and could be missing out on some really important information because of that. And the thing about financial literacy, while not really the topic of this podcast or what you're talking about, but it also goes down to children. It could be a financial literacy down to young women and girls. What sort of facilitation is there of understanding finance even at younger ages? Is there a difference there too between the genders? Well, that was another massive theme that I heard from the women that I interviewed is that early financial education, I think as young as you can start is great, but particularly starting in high school is just so important. And to, again, be mindful of not just educating your sons, but also educating your daughters. Talk to them about some of these basic things like the benefits of compounding or what is credit card debt or how to file a tax return or what's the difference between saving versus in- investing? You are empowering your child with financial knowledge when you do that. And unfortunately, most schools do not have that in their curriculum as much as I would love that to be. So it's really on parents to be educating their daughters. And then another further thing that I heard was not just your high school students, not just your college students, but particularly making sure your adult daughters continue to have that money confidence as they go through their own major transitions. So getting their first apartment, first job, building their career, getting married themselves, 
to be there as support, even when your daughters are in their 20s or 30s, to be there as support and a base of knowledge so that, again, they can feel confident and they're informed and they're involved and all these things, right? It's, it's, it's all cyclical. I think it's also important to make sure that we are distinguishing that we're not just focusing on the financial literacy as it relates to investments, because you just named off a lot of things. Yeah. We're talking about financial literacy Financial literacy, right? Mm-hmm. Bank accounts, leases, signing a lease, having you know your credit cards. You know how does all of that work? Saving money, paying yourself first by contributing to your four hundred one k plan. I mean, financial literacy is a big umbrella, right? And it's not just about hey, how do you invest your four hundred one k? Which sometimes we hear people focus down on. Hey, financial literacy is about how to understanding how to invest money. And it's shocking sometimes people can you say, well, it's a lot more than that. Right? It's, you said before about taxes, and I have a I have two nieces, and I remember it was a point of contention in my family when I was trying to educate my young niece on taxes and how they worked. And we went to a local ice cream store up in Portland, Maine, where they live, and the soft serve ice cream cone came out to her. And before I handed it to her, I I ate a third of the <laughs> ice cream off the top, and I said, <laughs> "That that's that's your lesson on taxes." And it was funnier to me than it was to her, but I think I think it kind of taught her a lesson. I had to buy her a new ice cream cone, of course. But yeah, I, I just think that there's always an opportunity to teach somebody about financial literacy, even if it is kind of a funny thing like that. That's that's one way to teach financial literacy. No, I'm, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be a little funny too. Yeah, right? no, I mean, I, I just this think- This is the monument off the wall podcast, right? So Right? I, it's But at least those are the type of things that stick in your mind of at least starting to understand these concepts. Understanding- basic money terminology is basically step one, because that alone is a huge hindrance to some women, even if they're working with an advisor, they may hear the term equity, and sort of be like, that's uh, stocks. Having that foundation in the vocabulary is really step one. And you can do that through there's a lot of online tools, like one I really love is called napkin finance, which really breaks down complicated money topics into essentially a little graphic on the size of a napkin. There's a lot of nonprofit financial literacy organizations that do great online webinars and classes. And then obviously working with a trusted advisor who's going to be able to educate you as well as give you advice. There was a really awesome one you showed me. I can't remember the name of it, the financial literacy organization. Something It, it was ladies something. There's one called Savvy Ladies that's specifically focused on women helping women. Because I think, you know, this the tie into kind of one, a next theme that I heard was that winging it is not a strategy. You mentioned before the 401ks. So this idea of like, okay, I have a little bit of basic financial knowledge. I'm supposed to be saving in a 401k. Okay. I don't know. I'll just kind of pick these funds. They look fine. Or my work just started this benefit. I don't really understand it. I think I'll just stick with what I've been doing, whether that's like a, a health savings account or a flexible spending account or something even like a stock option or stock grants or stock purchase or things like that that can be kind of complicated and a little intimidating to get into. And again, the results of winging it, of not getting involved, of not taking advantage of opportunities, money opportunities, can lead to really massive losses. Another stat that I had found was that women on average retire two-thirds the amount of money that men do. Wow. Just think about that. Think about 
what that means in terms of what you can do in retirement. Women live longer, right? So need longer long-term care or medical needs, the ability to support heirs or your favorite charities. Like think about what that means if you're retiring with two-thirds amount of money in your retirement as as a man does. That is really an issue, especially in those situations where divorce enters the picture and things like that. It could really be, well, catastrophic isn't a great word, but I'm not going to search for a better one, but detrimental, extremely detrimental. And the winging it, I think, is a huge component of that. And, you know, in the military, we use a saying that's very similar, which is hope is not a course of action. It's, it's very similar to that, which is when you're winging it, I always feel like you could probably get some better advice from anybody than just winging it. Ask around colleagues, friends. There are people in our industry that work with all kinds of different clients. And at the very least, lean over to your right or your left at your desk at your office when we all go back to work and say, hey, I'm trying to figure out my 401k plan. Did you do yours? And you'll probably find somebody around the office that's really good with it and has done a lot of research because they're a do-it-yourselfer. They're really interested and you can get a lot of education just around your tribe at work. Yeah, it's amazing how much money is still a, a taboo topic. Mm-hmm. amongst friends, amongst family, amongst coworkers. And really, you're right. Some of the people that you can learn the most from, particularly in the beginning, are those people that are closest to you in your personal life. You had another topic in there too. This one, it feels a little obvious, but it's about women needing to protect themselves when it comes to money. And I think immediately mine goes to bad divorces and things like that. But there's a lot of other circumstances where you need to know how to protect yourself as a woman. And I think before I delve into maybe a couple of examples, I think one of the things that in talking to a trusted estate attorney about what she's seen with her clients is she sees a lot of women that have a challenge with giving up control. And so They put off putting these types of protections in place for themselves because kind of get wrapped up in the all the financial details. And as a result, they kind of never do anything. So one of the big things that she shared with me was just this reminder of particularly when it comes to estate documents is that what you do now can usually be revised later. So at least start with something. Starting with something is better than having nothing. Right. Don't let perfect become the enemy of good enough. Yes. There you go. That's your statement you always yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. that one. Yeah. So some themes that emerged were if your spouse or your partner dies, will you have access to liquidity immediately? For example, banks will shut down a bank account as soon as they know that the owner is deceased. So having a joint account, make sure that you still maintain access. Or life insurance companies, they may require some sort of autopsy or something before they release a, a death benefit. Or even if the policy is owned by an irrevocable life insurance trust, that could delay the funds. So thinking about how will you have access to liquidity if your partner or spouse dies. Another concept is if your spouse or partner becomes incapacitated, which we actually talked about on another episode of Off the Wall about estate administration. We had a great conversation about the importance of a durable financial power of attorney. Think about, let's just say your house, for an example. You owned it jointly with your spouse and your spouse is in a coma. Banks, title companies, mortgage companies, they, they want to see some sort of power of attorney first before they would let you do anything. You wouldn't be able to sell the house, for example, if it was jointly owned without having a power of attorney because you can't sell a jointly owned asset by just one person saying, I want to sell it. That would kind of be pandemonium potentially. Having a durable financial power of attorney to protect you as well as being able to take care of your, your spouse and partner. You mentioned that podcast. It's episode four right before this one. 
And Leah was a fantastic guest, and she really surfaced some things that I really had no idea about. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't heard episode four with our interview with Leah, we're definitely going to have her on again because I I feel like we could have talked with her for three hours and listened to the stories that she had. Definitely go back and check out that episode on uh, Power of Attorneys and some of the pitfalls there. Mm -hmm. A few other items, questions to kind of think about. If you're newly divorced, how do you know that your finances are in fact separated? I think, you know, divorce is obviously a very emotionally taxing event. And so auditing your finances is probably the last thing that you want to do. But making sure that you're updating your state documents, your beneficiary designations on your retirement accounts or life insurance policies, you know, essentially doing that full financial audit is important to protecting yourself to making sure that things aren't actually going to your ex-spouse, for example. And then also, if you're a business owner, how are you going to protect your legacy? How are you going to keep your business going if you're not around? How will you make sure that your heirs get paid out for your share? How will you protect your copyright if you're creative? There's so many things to think about on the protection side. These are obviously the worst case scenario things that no one wants to think about. And unfortunately, a lot of women have said, okay, I don't want to think about it, so I'm not going to think about it. And the repercussions of that decision can be really severe. And then another theme that I heard was having a way to make your own money. I think about this in terms of not just going to work, having your own career, but if you're a stay-at-home mom, you know, thinking about how you can keep up your network And your transferable skills through volunteering, for example, would ensure that if you got divorced or your spouse becomes incapacitated or your spouse passes away, that you're going to be able to put your intellect and talents to work. So it's just so important, even if you're in the workforce or you're out of the workforce right now, to just keep up those skills so that you can, again, have a way to make your own money. Yeah, I agree. And we see this too, especially with a few of the people that work here at Monument. Kathleen and Cecilia, I mean, when they started working here, they came in as part-time because they were raising children and things. And I think the old way, the old days are kind of over, especially with all the remote work capabilities and everything, which makes your point even more important, which is maintain your skills, spend some time doing online stuff to stay current in whatever your field is or stay connected through LinkedIn, things like that, because there are opportunities that exist now to make money in a part-time way and in a remote way working from home that didn't exist a decade ago. Yeah. I mean, I know COVID has been brutal on moms in particular, the amount of unpaid labor in terms of taking care of household children doing Zoom school, right, has has just been, it's been disproportionately has an effect on women. But you're right, there is a positive side. More employers will be willing to hire someone who works in another time zone because of the way technology and the workforce evolved during COVID that it just, again, it makes opportunities available that maybe you might not have had before. Right. But the point is so important, which is, again, have a way to make your own money. Yeah. Lastly, I think about Cecilia from our office used this analogy with me and it really, really struck a chord when she said it. She said, think about if your loved one was diagnosed with an illness, what would you do? You'd probably, you talk to doctors, you talk to specialists, you do your research on medications, you treatments, you'd call up your insurance company and go like real deep dive into your health insurance plan and what's covered and what's out of network. And it would be difficult It'd be kind of stressful at times, but you would walk away from that experience feeling more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more powerful having 
quote unquote, gone through the woods. And so money is kind of the same thing, hopefully not as difficult as a a sudden illness for a loved one, but you have to do the work, you have to get the information. And when you do, you'll just be all the better for it. You're going to feel more confident. You're going to, again, know what questions to ask. You're going to feel more in control of your options and your time. And I think if you choose to say, like, I'm not a DIYer, I'd rather hire someone who's going to be able to understand my whole picture and who's going to be able to provide this level of education as well as advice. I would say be really upfront about your questions and your needs. It's really challenging for educated women in particular to be sitting in the room and an advisor sort of explains something and you think, I'm smart. I should be getting this. I don't want to look stupid, so I'm not going to ask the question. Or maybe even I did ask the question, like, I don't really get that. Can you explain that? And they explained it and you still don't understand what they said and to feel like, okay, I don't want to look stupid by like asking a second time. Can you explain that? So I'm not going to say anything. That is, in my mind, that's like the situation I'm always looking to avoid. Please know that there are no stupid questions when it comes to your money. This isn't someone else's money. This is your money. This is your future. This is your time. This is your decisions. And you have to feel confident and in control in order to make the decisions that are going to be best for you. I think that's interesting because we here at Monument, when we meet people, we celebrate when people ask us to further explain something or ask the silly question. I guess in a way, I'm giving people permission to ask the question that they think is dumb. We, everyone in this industry, wants people to ask those questions. It it can get jargon-laden. It can get complicated. But I think the worst thing from our perspective, like Jessica from you and I, is when if somebody walks out of here not understanding what we said, I would take that as a failure on our part. And so I would rather celebrate somebody saying, I don't understand that. I would look at that as a gift. You get another opportunity to to re-explain something to somebody. And the analogy that you used with the doctors and the illnesses are so applicable because I would never walk into my doctor's office and say, I don't feel good. If my arm hurts, I'm not going to go and say, something's off. You know, <laughs> I'm going to go in and I'm going to say, hey, my arm hurts. And then they're going to explain, here's the treatment plan. If I don't understand, I'm going to say, I don't understand. What are the side effects of that drug? Or what is an MRI or things like that? And we would all do that because it's in our best interest to understand that because it's our own bodies and, and it involves pain. But this is very similar to that, which is it involves pain if you don't understand things and you want to make sure you get a clear answer. And just like a doctor always wants to make sure that a patient understands everything, we in our industry want to make sure that our clients understand everything as well. Yes. Your big takeaways are be involved. Financial literacy is critical. Transitions can be a vulnerable time if you aren't prepared. Protect yourself. Winging it isn't a strategy. Have a way to make your own money. Teach your children, but particularly your daughters. And lastly, start now. Never think it's too late for me. Always think I can do it. There's so many things in women's life that they feel like there's a great confidence about. Even if I don't know how to do this, I'm going to figure it out. Feel that same way about money. Just start now, get involved, and you're going to be all the better for it. And find the people that you can go ask the questions to. Find the people that will give you advice. Find the people you trust, whether they're friends, family, colleagues, folks like us at Monument, other financial advisors. Just the worst thing you can do is not get your questions answered. So I will now proceed to step down off my soapbox. I think you have all heard my thoughts on women well, and money. I, Jessica, I, I always love your thoughts and I thought it was fantastic. And it's it's far from a soapbox. It's a really important topic. And I'm glad that we had a chance to 
cut a podcast and talk about it because, you know, us, we're just straightforward and unfiltered. And there it is from Jessica. So <laughs> it's kind of like being on the soapbox is what this podcast is all about. And we really appreciate our audience listening to this. And if you liked this podcast, you know, please go ahead and head over to Apple iTunes is the best place to do it and give it a five star. And if you can write a sentence or two on a review, just say like, hey, it was really great. Jessica was fantastic. Um, <laughs> it, and so was Dave. Um, it, it, I know it sounds silly, but it helps so much because the back engine of that whole thing is what exposes the podcast to other people is when people engage with it with the star rating. So subscribing, hitting the five stars and leaving a review is what helps get this noticed by other people. And it's uh, we would really appreciate if you just take the two seconds to go there and do that for us. So, But with that, I think we're, we're at the end of episode five here and Jessica another great podcast and I look forward to our next one awesome thanks everyone all right bye